last week we began in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 talking about this idea of finally be strengthened. When we talked about finally be strengthened, he was saying it's the summation of everything. You remember that? And he was saying it's time now for you as you go forward to take all of these things that I've given to you and I want you to walk forward in these things and the way that you do that becomes very important. In fact, if we could, I want us just to go back to verse 11 and 12 and read those again. He said, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers of darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. That was a a fascinating look for us to see that Whatever we're facing spiritually today is not about flesh and blood. It's not against a group of people. It's not against uh, that, that type of thing. It's not against a person. It's against something that's so much bigger than that. And as we looked at that, we talked about how we need to be on our guard against the schemes of the devil or the strategies of the devil. And as we looked at those things, you remember we talked about that was important for us to understand those things and to properly frame that so that we would understand how to fight. And as we do that, we saw that we're fighting a defeated foe. We're fighting a a defeated enemy who now only has the ability to practice guerrilla warfare against us. He's sniping at us. He knows that the battle is already over, but it hasn't been declared finally over. And that will happen, by the way. We know that from reading the book of Revelation, where our enemy will be defeated once and for all and cast away into hell where he will be bound for all eternity, destroyed. And as we think about that, that makes us understand that what we have to do now is get ready for every day. And so he said, put on the full armor of God. And as we look at that today, we're going to look at these kind of first three pieces of the armor of God and how important it is for us to understand what they mean for us and how that helps us to stand and resist and prepare for everything that's coming for us. And we know that every day, we talked about this, God has a plan for us, the enemy has a plan for us. And so as we look at this today, let's begin in verse 13 of chapter six. The apostle writes this, for this reason, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist In the evil day, having prepared everything to take your stand, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. He begins this passage by saying, for this reason, for the reason, because you understand now the schemes and the strategies of the evil one and how they're coming against you, for that reason, make sure that you're ready to go with what's coming. And I want you to think about this because a lot has been made of this and I think that it's, it's absolutely true. Paul certainly had the understanding of what a Roman soldier would have looked like. Throughout his lifetime, he was surrounded by Roman soldiers. In fact, chained to a Roman soldier, imprisoned. He'd been carried by Roman soldiers in protective custody at different times. So we know that he's familiar with this and there's this imagery there, but there's also another piece of this. How many of you remember that in the Old Testament, the Lord is described as a warrior? 
The Lord, he is a warrior. And these characteristics that we see really give us some of the character of God because it said that God marches out in righteousness and, and he has the truth uh, girded around himself. So we get that picture a little bit from the Old Testament, particularly the prophet Isaiah, as he talks about this picture of the Lord. So it's a beautiful imagery for us. But as we look at this, I wanna remind us, we're putting on the armor, we're putting on the character of God, we're putting on things God has told us to do, but we're always fighting in God's strength. We're always doing this in God's strength. It's never our battle alone. We don't stand out on the line by ourselves. This is God's work in us. And as I said last week, if we're talking about the characteristics of our heavenly father, if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I understand that all of this may seem a little silly. It may seem a little strange to you, but I want you to know something. I want you to know that you have been loved with an everlasting love and there is nothing that would stand in between you and God the Father because the Father has sent his son Jesus who died on the cross in our place so that we could have peace with God, so that we could have fellowship with God. And the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And if you would confess your sins today, you would know peace with God. If you would receive Christ Jesus as Lord today, you could know peace with God. And I want you to remember that because at the end of our sermon today, we're going to have an invitation. And it's an invitation to respond to so many things. But particularly today, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, nothing would be more important than anything we might do today. It'd be more important, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, it'd be more important than celebrating graduates on a Sunday. That's important. Not as important as this. We want you to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We want you to be in relationship with him. And at the end of the service, we're gonna have an invitation time where we will stand and sing a song and I'll invite you to come and receive Jesus Christ as Lord. I want you to be thinking about that because it's been my prayer throughout this week and this weekend that you might see the truth of the gospel and be saved. All right, this morning, as we look at this as believers, I want you to notice there's kind of three action words, and then there are these three pieces of armor or armament equipment that we put on. The first three things that we see are these action words. He says, take up, resist, prepare. You see that in verse 13, don't you? He says, for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you can resist in the evil day, having prepared everything to take your stand. So when he says you need to take something up, what he's saying there is there's something for us to use and without it, we won't succeed. So it's just like getting ready for something. All these things are available to us, but if we don't take them up, we're not going to succeed. We must take them up. We must pick them up and put them on. Why? So that we can resist. And you know what we're resisting. We're resisting all types of things. As he says, in the evil day, I'm going to ask you a question this morning. If you watch the news this weekend, do you believe this world is evil? Did you see evil in the world? Did you see racism? Did you see corruption? Did you see greed? Did you see harm done to people? You see that because it's evil in the world and that's part of the strategies and the schemes of the evil one, isn't it? So what he does, he comes in and assaults the world with these things and believers are supposed to take up the armor of God 
and resist. What does that mean? It means that we don't give into it. We don't just say, well, it's the way things are. We'll just live with it. No, we resist. We push back against the darkness and we resist temptations that come to us for sin. So as we take up the armor, we have to be aware of what's going on so that we can be prepared. Think about what it would be like to be in a war and not be prepared. There's a story from classical literature that speaks to this a little bit. The Greeks fighting the Trojans, not making much progress. So you remember the story, they build a, a horse and inside that horse, they put an elite group of fighters and they leave one man behind to say, I've been abandoned and this was meant to be a gift to your gods. And what happens? They open the walls of the city. They roll in that now called Trojan horse. And the surprise attack won the day. Your computer might be susceptible to this. They call them Trojan horses. Why? Because they look like something you should click on. You click on it, you open it up, and it releases malware inside, right? It, it's a sneak attack. Sometimes the enemy's attacks are very, very obvious, aren't they? Sometimes we see them and we go, not today, Satan, sorry. I mean, do better. That, that not happening. Not, not giving into that. I'm not going back to that. Been there, done that, learned the lesson, got the t-shirt, don't need to do it again, don't need to go back to remedial school and repeat. No, 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 done, not doing it. But oftentimes, because we're not prepared, what happens is we're not being vigilant towards these things. We, we haven't taken up the armor of God. We've not been resisting. We're not prepared for what happens. The sneak attack comes and we're totally caught off guard. And you remember we talked about this last week. We're not going every day into to kind of a fairy tale situation. We're going into a life that is fraught with temptation, fraught with testing, fraught with trials. It's difficult and so we must be ready for that, to be prepared, to know the strategies. And if I could just say something to all of us, we need to test everything. Test everything. Don't just assume, don't just say, well, they seem like a nice person. What they say must be right. It must be a good thing. I want you to think about this. When you get your week started, oftentimes at my house, maybe your house is like this, we, we kind of have similar conversations. The calendar is opened. And we say, what's going on this week? There are four of us in our house. And so there's always something going on that we are needing to be on the same page about. And oftentimes, uh, we'll have to readjust things and plan our week accordingly. Then we have a second conversation. It normally starts like this. And any of you who do the grocery shopping know the fatigue of this conversation. What do you want to eat this week? I don't know. What do you want to eat? I don't know. I can tell you what I don't want to eat, you know, fish and broccoli. We don't want to eat that. If any of you have been around here, we don't want to eat fish and broccoli. We want some meat, you know. We, we go through that. We prepare. There's preparation. Why wouldn't we prepare every week in the same way? Why wouldn't we think? Why, why would we think about this for a second? You spend more time planning your meals than you do preparing for the enemy. 
Think about that for, let that just sink in for just a moment. I spend more time calendaring often than I do preparing for them. Well, how do we prepare? How can we know how to do that? Well, he's gonna give us some ways to do that now with this armament that we pick up. Let's look at these three things that he says. You notice the first thing that he said in, in verse um, in, in verse uh, 14 was he said, you stand therefore with the truth like a belt around your waist. When he says you, you, you take this, this truth and put it there, it's funny because a belt, if we think about it, is, I mean, I'm wearing a belt. I, don't, I didn't think about it as armor this morning, right? Maybe you're wearing a belt. You don't think about it as armor. But for a Roman soldier, this was an important piece of equipment because it was foundational into how things were going to go. Because if we're taking the truth, what he's saying here is that's the thing that binds us all together, that we know the truth, that we live the truth. And I think that's an important thing for us to see it like that. A Roman soldier was binding his tunic out of the way, holding all things together so things weren't flying around in the, in the breeze and in the wind. And everything was held together that way. It's not unlike today what we might see with one of our special operations soldiers who would put on what they call a war belt that holds everything that is, is the foundational piece of that. Now, most scholars will acknowledge to you today there are probably two ways that we could think about this word truth and apply them to our lives, and I think they're both accurate ways for us to look at it. The first would be the doctrinal truth that we all need to know from the Scripture. There's truth that you need to know, and if you think about it, knowing the truth is that foundational piece that binds everything together. If you don't know the truth, the foundation is not Set. In fact, you might remember that Jesus, when he described the two homes, one built on the sand, one built on the rocky foundation, said that the, the wise builder built upon his words. What, what does that mean? His words of truth. The teachings. Built his life upon the teachings of Christ. So for us this morning, we have to know some doctrine. We have to know truth. And I find this funny because a lot of times we like to shrink away from that and act like that's not important. A couple of weeks ago, we were having a conversation amongst our staff because a couple of our guys had been to a conference and there was a speaker amongst many speakers there and the conference was a good conference. But one of the speakers had said something I find really kind of uh, cute but entirely wrong. Make Jesus big and doctrine small. That sounds good, doesn't it? On the surface, make Jesus big and doctrine small. But the funny thing is, is that Jesus taught doctrine. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If we, if we put doctrine to the side, then what starts to happen? Listen, church, we become a people of compromise. Well, I mean, is this really that bad? Is this really, did God really mean, didn't we talk about that with the strategies and the schemes of the devil when Satan came to Eve and said, did God really say? To know the doctrine is foundational to what we believe. We must be in tune with, with biblical doctrine. And oftentimes we're not because we want to compromise. We want to make nice with people or maybe even worse, we want to be relevant You know, being relevant is a tricky double-edged sword, isn't it? I believe the gospel's relevant in every generation. 
because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we think we're so smart and we're so important and that we've changed so much and, and, and life is so different because we've accomplished so much. It's not. We're fooling ourselves. God created us. God knows what we need. God outlines it for us in the word. And if we're going to, to start the day, we have to know the truth. Yeah, make Jesus big, but know the truth. Know the truth. How do we do that? Well, you've taken a good first step this morning because you've come in here and hopefully you've brought the word of God with you and you've opened it. That's a good start to the day. A good start to the next hour would be if you found yourself in a life group class. We've got life group teachers scattered all through this room who have prepared a lesson for you from the scripture so that when they open it, you're getting another hour of truth poured into your life. You could come to one of our grow groups that happen throughout the week or our midweek Bible studies we just wrapped up and we'll be having more of those start up in the fall. Students, adults, children, all of that kind of stuff happens. That's another way to do it. And then you, you can kind of, kind of put the icing on the cake every day by opening the scripture for yourself. Going to it and just saying, I need to grow in this. I need to know the truth. But there's a second way that we bind ourselves up in truth. We live the truth. We live it. We become people who understand that to fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not to fear man. Not to fear what people say. Not to be swept away by every political persuasion that comes along. Not to just watch the news, but to be people of the book who live the book. When you start to live it out, it changes everything. Living the word means that your life is brought into conformity with the truth. If you want to stand against the enemy, don't give him a stronghold by believing a lie as if it's true and starting to live it out. You do that, you compromise on the truth, and I'm going to tell you something. A part of your soul is tarnished. I see it all the time. Well, I believe in Jesus, and, but, but I don't know that that's so important. This isn't important. What, did God say it was important? Does it matter what you think about its importance, or does it matter what God thinks about its importance? For us to be able to do these things, we have to know the truth. The second piece that he tells us is the breastplate or the armor of righteousness. The, the Christian Standard Version of the Bible that I, I read this morning calls it the armor of righteousness. Older translations uh, would have called it the breastplate of righteousness. And what are they talking about? They're talking about that piece of armor that covers you from, you know, kind of neck down to your waist. And again, we could look at it in two ways and probably be right just like we were with truth. The first way when it talks about righteousness is for us to know how we become righteous. Did we become righteous because we finally figured it out? No. We became righteous because Christ died for us. The righteous died for the ungodly. And when that happened, what we call that here, and I talk to you about this all the time, we call that, theologians would call it, the imputed righteousness of God. It's righteousness given to you, imputed to you. It's not yours. 
You didn't become righteous. But when God looks at you now as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, we are now declared righteous. God is at once the just and the justifier. So he is just and he can justify us freely by his grace. So what happens here is we have the imputed, the declared righteousness of Christ over our lives. So as Paul says in Romans, who can bring a charge against God's children? No one. Why? Is it because we're so awesome? Not at all. It's because when God looks at us, he doesn't see Jeff anymore. He doesn't see you anymore. What he sees is Jesus Christ. Imagine it this way. Imagine that God sees us through the lens of the work of the cross. When he puts it on, now what does he see? He sees the righteousness of Christ applied to your life. Your sins washed clean. That's why we're, we're, we're told we're, we're cleansed by the blood of the lamb. Uh, though our, our, our sins are, are, are like scarlet, they will be whiter than snow. Why is that? It's because we have been washed through the righteousness of Christ. The second way to think about that again would be for us to live a righteous life. I want you to think about this for a second. How often does Satan remind you of your past? I get a lot of those. Do you? I'm sure you don't. You were all perfect. But as a pastor's kid, I had my fair share. You know what I'm saying? Many of you have known people like me, and you have known those of us who have struggled in our lives, and the rest of you are liars. Uh, here's how it works, right? Here's how it works. Satan comes knocking on your door and says, do you remember when? How could you be a good mother? How could you tell someone about motherhood? You're awful. How could you tell someone about morality? You were awful. Well, for us, there's a, a motivation to live a righteous life, isn't there? Because I don't want my future to be reminded of my past all the time. And so how do we avoid that, right? Well, well, first of all, we have to fight. When Satan comes knocking at the door and says, hey, do you remember? I can say, well, I do remember, but I'm so glad that God doesn't remember. Why doesn't he remember? We just sang it. He throws our sins into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. His mercy was more. Thrown into a sea of forgetfulness, never to be reminded again. As far as the east is from the west, I about did it this way for you, but then it was gonna confuse me. That would be your east and my west, right? Does that get it right? Kind of east, west. How does that work, right? So you see it like that? It's far, it's separated. So here's the motivation then. If we know that, that's what we do when we go, when Satan comes knocking, we say, it's not about me anymore, it's about Jesus. I wanna remind you of that. It's about Jesus, it's what he did. And my sins have been cleansed by the blood of the lamb and that's all you need to say. I claim the blood of Jesus. That's it, that's it. But here's the motivation. I wanna live righteously so that he doesn't have any more ammunition in the gun to fire at me later, you know what I mean? So every day that we wake up, what we're trying to do is bring our lives into conformity with the will of God. And here's what I like to call it, we're chasing righteousness. So I know that I've been made righteous by the Lord Jesus Christ, but today I wake up and I have a choice. Am I going to live righteously or am I gonna live like I used to live? So we can chase righteousness, we can pursue righteousness. We're never gonna be perfect, not until we get to heaven. 
But as the accuser comes, the, bless, the breastplate of righteousness over our lives is for us to claim the blood of Jesus and to live a righteous life. I think if we don't, we miss something. You remember that we said that that armor went from here to here? What's here to here? It's, it's the vital organs, right? But what we often say is that it's the heart. And Jesus said the issues of life spring forth from the heart. They come from there. So protecting your heart's very important. Protecting your soul, very important. Looking at that is very important. And I think what happens oftentimes is we, we have two extremes that we could kind of run after right here that would be dangerous for us. Satan comes and, and if he can't get us with an inferiority complex, oh, you're no good, you're terrible. He might give you a superiority complex. Man, you have really got it figured out. When that happens, you better claim the name of Jesus right there too. Because that's just as dangerous, isn't it? As when he comes and says, you're worthless. Now, oftentimes we don't see it that way. We see the worthless part of it like, oh man, he is beating me up today, reminding me of my past. Well, well, we still claim in the name of Jesus, the blood of Christ over our lives. But if he comes and starts to puff us up with pride, you are so good. Man, I tell you what, dad of the year, it's gonna happen. Best grandma ever, You're, you are amazing get thee behind me, Satan. Don't let him remind you of those things. Live righteously before the Lord. The third piece of armor that he tells us that we need to put on are our shoes. The appropriate shoes are funny things, aren't they? If you go down to our gymnasium, we ask you not to get on our floor without a rubber-soled shoe. We want a non-marking sole. Why is that? Well, we put a lot of money into that floor and it takes a lot to keep it the way that it is. And maybe you've been to a place that said no open-toed shoes. Have you ever been to a place that said that? Said that we don't want you to wear open-toed shoes or, or sandals or flip-flops or those kinds of things because it's not appropriate for what you're doing, the activity that you're doing. Well, the activity that Paul says that we're engaged in is warfare. And so he immediately describes a shoe from a Roman soldier that would have looked very much like an open-toed sandal to us, but they had strapping that went all the way around the lower leg, and they had like almost what you would say like a hobnailed sole. So they had taken nails and driven through one layer of the leather and then covered that, and they did that for a couple of reasons. Those sandals allowed a Roman soldier to move swiftly and securely, and those two things are very important, right? If you're in battle, you need to be able to move swiftly and securely. You don't wanna lose your footing, so when he says this, I want you to read verse 15 with me again. He says, let your feet be sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. For the believer, it says that our feet are to be equipped with the gospel of peace. And more specifically, it actually says with the readiness or the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's funny because... Paul talks about feet in Romans. You may remember he says how beautiful are the feet. And, and a lot of the commentators believe that he's grabbing again that analogy from the, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 52 and verse seven, where it says this. It says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace, who brings good, a news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So when he says to us, 
be ready with the preparation of the gospel. What does he mean? In other places in the scripture, he reminds his listeners and readers to be ready in season and out of season to do what? Give a defense for the hope that is within them. In other words, to be ready with the gospel for every encounter that you have, to be able to share the gospel, to be able to speak the gospel. What he's getting to here is pure and simple evangelism. I want you to think about this for a second. How do we resist the darkness in Nashville? How do we overcome it? The gospel. One person at a time. How do we make a lasting impact in our city? It's the gospel. It's one person at a time that we would preach the gospel and teach the gospel and be prepared for that. And if if not, how are we going to be able to do that? Here's what I want you to think about today. Are you prepared to speak the gospel? If someone asked you today, why, why do you go to church? How would you answer that? Would you say, well, I've always gone to church. It's a good answer. It's not the gospel. Would you say I'm Baptist and we like to eat? Good answer. Not the gospel. Would you say I just love the activities at our church and the fellowship? Good answer. Not the gospel. Or would you say, Christ Jesus changed my life because I was lost. And one day I realized that if I was lost, I was going to spend eternity apart from God. And I looked to Christ Jesus as God's son who died in my place, buried in a tomb, rose on the third day, And I put my faith in him and received the forgiveness of my sins. And now I have peace with God. The gospel and being ready for it is important. And being ready for that every day. Can can I just make that confession to you? I've just been convicted of that. Just convicted that of all the things I have to do today, I I might get up and read the Bible. I I might get up and, 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 and read the truth. I journal that. I I write down the verses from the day that the Lord's speaking to me. I pray over those things. I want to live a righteous life. I want to be on the, the, the lookout for those things. But the preparation, the readiness of the gospel to just have my mindset to engage people with the gospel, to invite them to know the Savior, to invite them into my life. How do we do it? Well, we have to be ready. If you don't know how to share the gospel, can I just give you two things? Right outside this door over here, there's a a gospel tract kind of carousel. You can go pick one up where you could at least just leave one with somebody if they had some questions. We all need to know how to share the gospel. We've given you classes on that. We'll have another one coming this fall where we take you right through the Bible. How do I share the gospel with someone? We want you to know it. It's important. Let me tell you something else the gospel is important for. It's important for you so that you can stand every day. Why? Because when Satan tells you you're not good enough, when he comes to attack your position before the Lord, it's the gospel that saved us. It's the gospel that gives us sure footing. I know where I'm going. I know what direction I'm headed because the gospel set me on the narrow 
way. It's good news and it changed our lives. So before you jump into this week, before you just make your calendar, before you make your grocery list, and you think about all the things you have to do, you better think about the one thing you need to do. And that's be ready. Ready to resist and make your stand. I'm going to ask you right now, if you would, to bow your heads with me. This is that moment I told you about and kind of foreshadowed at the beginning of the service where I told you we were going to invite you to respond. And I'm going to invite all of us to respond today. I'm going to invite believers to respond. I'm going to invite you to respond to the altar. Maybe you need to just rededicate yourself to the Lord, to putting on the armor of God. Maybe it's time for you to renounce the lie and embrace the truth again. It's so easy for us to do that. Just to take a little lie and hold on to it as if it's, it's not that big of a deal. To not live righteously before the Lord. And just kind of gloss over it. To not be prepared with the gospel. Where are you at this morning, believer? As a child of the king, are you ready to make your stand? To resist. But what about you who have never given your life to Christ? You've never been saved. The invitation for you today is to know that there is a God that loves you and he loves you so much he sent Jesus to die in your place. Our prayer today is that you would know Christ. And in just a second after I'm done praying, we're going to stand and sing together and no one will think it's strange. Believers, if you come and pray at this altar or maybe someone who's inquiring who just says, I'm ready to give my life to Christ. If you come and take me by the hand, I'll pray with you and tell you how you can know the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, our lives are surrendered to you and to your word today. We do believe, Father, that the truth of the gospel remains our foundation. And our prayer today is that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. And Father, for us as a church, as believers, Lord, it's so easy for us to compromise on the truth. God, forgive us. Forgive us where we've said it's no big deal what you've said in your word. Forgive us where we haven't lived the truth. Lord, I pray for us as no doubt the enemy will come knocking this week. May we claim the blood of Jesus and his righteousness. Lord, may we live righteous lives. Father, I pray for us that we would be ready with the gospel this week. Lord, bring people into our orbit that need you. We trust that you're doing the work, that you're drawing people. Lord, let us be ready to give the reason for the hope that's in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.